0: Okay. So we are in Genesis chapter 3. Last week we looked at the act of the fall, the the temptation and ultimately the willing sin of Adam and Eve and what was their immediate result after that they they realized they were naked and That was um, the the manifestation or the result uh, uh, of their sin, to know good and evil. And and suddenly there was this this thing now that they were aware of um, that ultimately represented the wrong that they had just done or the rebellion that they had committed against God and they had shame <clears throat> it was like the knocking over of the jenga, the jenga tower the evidence is there <clears throat> and they tried to cover it up they tried to fix it themselves that was their initial reaction and we looked at last week the process of of sin or as a process <laughs> how it uh, goes from one thing to the next and ultimately we are left with the consequences Today, we are going to look at what God decided to do with the matter, what what ultimately then were the consequences for them. I used an example with the children, but I would like to use a much more real example with you all now from my own life. Uh, If you know my testimony, then maybe this isn't new information. But um, as a teenager, I was very rebellious and I guess like teenagers are. (laughs) But um, I found myself in substance abuse, and I remember the day that my mother found out, (laughs) and I remember running to the toilet and quickly flushing everything down the drain in a panic. And I remember sitting down, waiting for her to come into the room. And I remember knowing exactly that everything I tried to do, everything that I had planned to say to make it better, all the excuses that I, that I had formulated in those few minutes before she stepped into the room evaporated. <laughs> and I remember her bitterly crying why are you doing this to yourself and i had no words i had no excuse i had no defense i had no blame to cast. and i was um, it affected me you know in a good way Um, it actually led to a bit of um, a bit of mending in our relationship, which, which wasn't the best at that stage. And um, I did end up making many other mistakes in my life. After that, I wasn't squeaky clean. But I remember feeling sorry. And I remember changing. When we read the story in Genesis and we consider our own life, perhaps our own salvation, and the people that we were before, and the things that we had to repent of at our salvation, and every day. Do we still fall into this age-old trap of trying to cover it up ourselves, trying to cast the blame on someone else and end up angry because of the consequences that we find ourselves in because of our own actions? So let's read Genesis 3, what we can learn from it. It's a beautiful, um, uh, uh, in the context, it's a beautiful um, passage because it's written in the form of a poem. So, Jesus' response, uh, uh, God's response is is a poem. And um, luckily, or fortunately, some of the Hebrew rhyming comes through in English. They didn't they didn't um, form poetry with rhyming words or syllables. They formed poetry with rhyming ideas. The concepts would be contrasting or the concepts would be parallel. The content would be um, repeated. And um, so let's read what God had declared after the blame was caused. Um, And it begins in um, in verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all livestock and above every beast of the field. You will go on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. For he will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and in pain you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground on account of you. In hard labor you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will bring forth, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground, because out of it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." In verse twenty-two, the man has become like one of us. God said, "Knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever." Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of them out from the garden of Eden to till the ground. And he drove them out um, and at the east of the garden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Lord, I pray that we may learn from this. Amen. It's beautiful but it's sobering and, and, and somber. And there is a sense of of great tension in these words. <laughs> and he addresses each one in turn. He begins with the serpent. Now, was it a real serpent? Was it something else? Uh, was it um, why does it say the serpent? I thought it was the devil. <clears throat> yes and yes <laughs> is the answer. <clears throat> the it it was Satan, but we don't know uh, how the serpent or how Satan used the serpent um, to tempt Eve. It was a real serpent, and it was also. Satan at the same time. <clears throat> Did it have legs before it, it moved? Maybe. I, the, it seems to indicate that. Maybe there's something else going on. <clears throat> but f- what is sure is that <clears throat> the serpent, the idea of this creature that for most of human history, there has been eminent, enmity there. Um, a bite from this poisonous thing, you know, let's, let's get rid of it before it kills our livestock, before it hurts us. You know, we, we know that a snake is just an animal like any other animal and they act instinctively, but there is this history with humankind and snakes. In Revelations chapter twelve, <clears throat> I want to get the the reference here, but I'll paraphrase it. It says, <clears throat> "And uh, the dragon, that ancient serpent, was cast down." And it describes the um, the binding of Satan. <clears throat> So to answer that question, yes. And the curse that um, God an- announces on the serpent, it said, so, "Well, it, isn't it unfair to curse the snake then? If, if Satan, you know, was behind it all." <clears throat> the curse is symbolic. It's a representation of. What would become of Satan and all those who ultimately put their lot in with him? <clears throat> and it is symbolic, as we read on, <clears throat> where uh, in the next verse he directly refers to um, to Satan, and it becomes this metaphorical image. It says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman." I will, between your offspring and her offspring, now that Hebrew word, her offspring, is singular. (coughs) It refers to a single person. And so God has um, taken what he did to the snake (coughs) and drawn it over to the metaphorical, uh, or rather the illustrative, and said, (coughs) um, Satan will be our enemy. (laughs) And it will be a spiritual battle (coughs) that is fought in the unseen realm and nothing that we do or say will ultimately not be touched by this battle. (coughs) And it's not a battle between God and and Satan. (laughs) he says the enemy w- is us <laughs> we are his target not god he seeks to draw us away from god and the truth to keep us blinded to uh, tempt us and uh, our nature and, and compel uh, our nature compels us to sin satan doesn't compel us to sin he tempts us <coughs> And so this conflict is set. That is is what the curse implies, but it talks about the singular offspring that will come, that will ultimately bruise uh, your head, and you will bruise, uh, and it will bruise your heel. (coughs) Um, uh, This person that is to come, uh, someone put it very well, a wounded Savior. For God to allude so directly to the gospel, thousands of years before any of it will even come to pass, before the first prophets will even speak directly of the cross or the Emmanuel, before the Messiah was even a thing, God said, I will send, I will make a way. We call this the Proto-Evangelion, the the Proto-First, Latin First um, Gospel. And then he talks about The woman, he said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Your pain, you shall bring forth children, and your desire will be to your husband. Another way to translate that would be the desire to control your husband, and he will not rule over you, but lord over you. that the original uh, uh, created intent of, of man and woman to be uh, complementary to each other, to <clears throat> women to help and, and, and protect, and the, and the man to, uh, this beautiful oneness that God had created was now warped and twisted as a consequence of our sin. And there will be, again, another conflict set um, between um, ourselves and the the distortion of this original created purpose, that that throughout history we see oppression. of women throughout history, terrible things have been done um, to women in the suffrage movement and all of these things that that really (laughs) we should know our history to be able to look at that and not repeat the mistakes. We're not quite there yet because... um, Well, for many reasons, it will always be warped. And we know that just by looking at the news, the the whole idea of a man and a woman is, is now up to a person's uh, own opinion. So that image and that oneness will forever be warped and twisted well, until the coming of Christ. And it says... Then lastly, so if there's a conflict between us and Satan, this line drawn in the sand, and there's conflict now between, <clears throat> between human race and uh, injustice. And then it says, uh, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree, I commanded. He said, curse is the ground on your account. And so there is this conflict now with with us and the the very creation and the very earth that we stand on. No longer is there um, a wonderful uh, unity between um, us as, as stewards and of kings and queens of the creation that God had given us to rule over. Now it becomes a struggle, another conflict that we toil and we sweat and we labor (coughs) for the food that was once so abundantly um, uh, available. (coughs) And we see this, don't we? (coughs) The volcanic eruption that happened several weeks ago, like the power of, I don't know, a thousand atomic bombs or something. You could see it from space, and they evacuated all the coastlines because of the, the tsunamis that, um, that came rolling over, and hurricanes, and floods, and droughts, and poisonous um, animals and plants, and everything is trying to kill us. <laughs> There is conflict between us and the world that we were ultimately created to govern. So this summarizes really what God is saying to us. No longer will there be peace, but there will be conflict. In verse 21, um, just a note in verse 20, you'll call Eve, because she's the mother of all living. The word Eve" is, sounds similar to the word, Hebrew word for life. And we are so grateful for all of our mothers. <coughs> um, and then in verse 22, it says, "God made garments." God made garments of skin for both Adam and his wife and clothed them." <clears throat> the idea <laughs> is that God took an animal, sacrificed it, and used that to make clothes for them. <laughs> now what did we already discuss? <laughs> the the evidence, the pieces on the ground of their sin was that they, they felt shame over their nakedness. And that caused them to hide from each other and to hide from God. There was a, a separation, a, a severance between uh, in our relationship and union with God. <coughs> and to temporarily restore that, to make some sort of a way that they would not feel shame or hide themselves, God made them clothes. <coughs> the law and um, everything leading up to Christ and everything that pointed to Christ in the sacrifice and the temple and, um, uh, and ultimately the law itself <coughs> was not meant to be the ultimate fix. (laughs) That wasn't the solution. The solution that God had promised was a savior. And until that time came, God would, would make a temporary way. So every year, the nation of Israel would have to do the sacrifice atonement. It wasn't good for a lifetime. It was only good to cover the sins, to cover their sins. The word covering is significant, and we read about it here in Genesis 3. And then it says, um, and God didn't want them to eat of the fruit. <clears throat> live forever I believe that that is a mercy that God had given us (laughs) because what would it be like then if they ate of the tree of life in their sinful state and they were they were stuck in that state they were bound Um, in their sinful disposition, unable to um, receive redemption because they had uh, eaten of the tree of life. I believe that it wasn't that, oh no, we don't want them to live, that there was some sort of internal fear that God felt that would be ridiculous, but that in His mercy... God um, drove them out, that he would make a way for redemption and that um, they would not be stuck in their sinful state. I believe that the flood eventually destroyed the garden and any any remnants of it. Uh, So I don't think we'll find a place that's guarded by an angel anymore, although that would I think make a cool uh, Indiana Jones movie. No, I'm joking. Do you see how this somber passage, this um, almost unsettling passage about the consequence of sin is felt even today? And how Christ addresses addresses these concepts (laughs) of sin that in Jesus Christ not only do we have eternal life which is necessary to be in fellowship with an eternal being But also, we have rest from our toils, from our labors, and we have peace and unity with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, or we should. And also, we are free from the compulsion and the, the chains of sin. That in Jesus Christ, in our uh, salvation, uh, the grace that is provided for us to save us is, is also sufficient to that we can see a bit of the glory to come within our communities and within our churches and within each other we can see a bit of that glory in in how believers and how the church should be towards each other and should be to the world at large <clears throat> I just want to read uh, one cross reference here uh, from revelations chapter 12 and again there 's no um, Coincidence that a lot of revelation uh, draws direct imagery from Genesis. <clears throat> talks about the woman and the dragon. But um, uh, in verse 9... Um, oh, no, no, no. That's the, that's the verse that we referenced in the beginning. <clears throat> the woman and the dragon. I'm looking. Oh, I wrote down the wrong verse reference again. Okay, I'm going to paraphrase it. <clears throat> it's somewhere in chapter 21 or 22, I think, <clears throat> uh, it says that we will be clothed with righteousness. And we will have garments of salvation. <clears throat> and it's not the only place that this image of being clothed with righteousness is used. It's used all the way back in Job. <clears throat> it's used in Isaiah. It's used by Jesus Christ. It's used in the, in the, in the, in the Gospels and it's used here in Revelation. <clears throat> that original, don't worry... When all is said and done, that original thing, that original problem (laughs) that sin brought on, even that will be restored. That there will be no longer shame. We will be clothed in righteousness. And it draws us all the way back to the beginning. So I don't know if that's something that you can think about every time you get dressed in the morning. But I want us to leave here and consider how we live and how we interact with each other. Do we seek conflict? Do we seek injustice, even indirectly or subconsciously? Or do we seek unity? Do we seek to be restored in in the power of the grace of God to our original purpose? To be unified with each other and be in fellowship with God. Look for reasons and excuses For that rather than reasons and excuses to cast blame or to seek conflict. And as we read, conflict takes many forms. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for wisdom and your truth from your word. Thank you that we can see and be aware of spiritual forces at work in our daily life, and may we be vigilant, may we be guarded against that by knowing your word and knowing truth and standing firm in what you have said, and Lord, may we experience a little bit of that glory I pray that we may seek resolution and seek peace in our daily lives, that we may bring glory to you. We thank you, Lord, that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and that we will live in union and fellowship with you as you intended. We look forward to it. And we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Let's stand for our hymn. And as you walk out the door, uh, please remember to take a letter from Hendrix. So let's stand for our last hymn.